0: Have a look at that chapter now, just for a few minutes. If you've, got a, if you've got a Bible, seems a strange thing to say, doesn't it, a church? If you've got a Bible, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't go to a football match and not have a sausage rolled or, you know, or something. You wouldn't go to work without your uh, timesheet. Um, if you've got a, a Bible, hopefully you've got one, um, open it up. Um, if for any reason you ever forget it, there's always some in a little rack um, at the back. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, um, just for a few minutes um, here this morning, but should we just just pray again? And um, I know Mark's already prayed, but should we just pray a second time? Father God, just pray now as we look at this moment in Pen- of Pentecost, Lord. Where your Spirit fell on your church. We prayed all for for all open hearts, humble hearts, listening ears, Lord. A, a spirit and a soul and a body, Lord, that longs for more of you. That we would be challenged, uh, and we would think deeper and wider uh, than our current experience perhaps in some cases and really be open to what you might want to do in us so bless us now we pray in Jesus name amen. I remember um, being 11 years old just about Um, I remember being a maths lesson in secondary school and uh, my teacher Mrs. Pegram who was easily 150 years old All teachers are 150 years old, aren't they? No matter how old a child is, they always think, "Oh, what was it like in Victorian times?" And uh, that often gets told. Andrew's had that a few times, which uh, doesn't go down well, I can tell you. Um, And so I remember being in a maths lesson, and uh, we were given, in small groups, we were given a a maths sum uh, to to sort out. And I'm relatively good at maths, believe it or not. Um, It's not—it's one of the things I always found quite easy. Um, And I remember sitting there thinking, "I know the answer." And, uh, and all the kids were like, oh, shut up, you know the answer. And, uh, and because of the secondary school I went to, I thought well, I'll just keep my head down a bit, and I didn't want to upset anybody, so I went with them. And they, we all got it wrong. And uh, I remember Mrs. Pegram uh, saying, trying to, trying to explain to a bunch of rowdy kids in a school in Dagenham why they got it wrong. They didn't really want to hear. And I remember saying to her, I knew the answer. And she said to me, she looked me in the eye, and she said to me, you must always stick to your guns. It was a really weird moment, this 150-year-old lady leaning across the table, (laughs) uh, almost like she could see in me where I was going wrong. She just said, you must always stick to your guns. And although I didn't do it in secondary school, I always think, I often think of Mrs. Pegram. I wonder if she's still with us, Um, but if she was 150 then, probably not. Um, And I often wonder... um, Why she said that, but it's been a defining moment. And across my life, I've had lots of little moments like that. I've had some big moments, getting married, having kids, obviously, the two big moments, um, coming here being in the top three, Um, big moments, but I've also had lots of other defining moments that have just nudged me forward and made me the man I am today. Um, So I can only apologise. But life is made by defining moments, isn't it? Sadly, for some people, life is ruined by defining moments that are on the negative side our faith as well is made by defining moments. Defining moments not with someone else but defining moments that you have with God. Our faith is shaped by how often we see and feel God move in our life and we experience God move in mighty ways. My own personal faith journey has been built by defining moments where God has spoken to me sometimes through other people. I've been very privileged to have people Give me a prophetic message, uh, which uh, the, the age I was was completely shaped my entire life. Um, people said things to me when I was 12 and 13, not knowing me at all, at certain Christian events, not knowing what they were saying, not knowing that they would lead to me standing here um, all these years later. God has. Uh, dealt with me in those amazing ways and they have been defining moments in my faith other ways my faith has been defined or your faith might be defined might be the first time you share your faith with someone and get called a few names or the first time you stand up for your belief and decide actually I don't care what you think I'm a Christian what are you going to do about it in a loving gentle way not in an aggressive way you know what I mean Um, but our faith is built by defining moments and in Acts chapter 2, when we come to the Pentecost and the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit, we see the defining moment of church history, the most defining moment of the church in all its 2,000 years. Lots of great things have happened in the church. We've talked about the Nicene Creed. We had that song that comes off the back of it, where we've formulated our beliefs and we've had the Bible in print. All those things have been brilliant. But Pentecost is the Defining moment of the church when God's Holy Spirit is poured out from heaven on his people. The church that Christ died to start is made alive by the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This is a unique event. Uh, there was a song we used to sing uh, in the 90s um, which had the line, We need another Pentecost. We don't. One was enough. Uh, God gave his spirit for his church. His church has. His Spirit. We don't need another Pentecost, but we'll get onto to that a bit later, perhaps. But the sad thing about Acts chapter 2 is it strikes me there are two ways that you might approach Acts chapter 2 as a Christian. The first way might be, wow, I want some of that, I want to experience God like that. The other way is, oh, I've never experienced God like that. And I wonder which side you sit on this morning. You don't have to be... The downside. You can be the excited side because of an amazing God who wants to move mightily in his church. This is the defining moment of church history. And whilst Pentecost may be a one off, God's Holy Spirit wasn't. He's with his people even now. Many Christians have got no frame of reference for the verses that Andrea read out in Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13, um, where it says in that final verse uh, they were made fun of and they were told uh, they had too much wine. Um, And so if you've got it open in front of you, we may refer to it, but if you've just got it to glance over, we'll just look at that now together. It all happens, uh, so so they're in this upper room um, in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, a big festival for Jewish people, and we we, we read the Spirit of God falls, and tongues of fire land, a light on each one of them, and like a, a mighty rushing wind, and they spill out of that room and they begin speaking in other tongues. And of course we read all these other people have come from all over the globe to worship God. These converts to Judaism and Jews themselves have come to worship God for Pentecost and they suddenly hear all these people preaching and praising God in their mother tongue and they're, whoa, that's amazing. Some say, well, they're probably drunk. Isn't that always the way when God does something amazing? There's always someone that will go, oh, it's probably mass hysteria. They probably didn't, they're probably making it up, aren't they? Anyway, I won't go on, dwell on that for too long. Pentecost um, came 50 days after Passover. Jesus died at Passover. Um, and so 50 days after that event, we have this festival of Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50, um, 50 days. So it's 50 days later. It's one of three main festivals that uh, every Jew were required to attend if they could. And so what you have is... People coming from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost as they're instructed. And Pentecost was about harvest. It was that time of the year when God's people thanked God for the fullness of their harvest. God had poured everything out, given them enough, and they were thanking God for everything, his provision, and they came to worship him. But this Pentecost, for the very first time, isn't going to be about fullness of a harvest of food. It's going to be about the fullness of God's Spirit being poured out on his church. Jesus made a few promises uh, just a short time before this in John chapter 14, 15 and 16. But in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus said this. He said, I will ask the Father. He's talking about when he gets back to heaven, after he's risen from the grave and ascends to heaven. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus says, when I go back to heaven, something amazing is going to happen. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's not just that he's going to be with you like I've been with you. He's going to be in you. That's incredible. That's an incredible thing to have said to you. And then turning the page, John chapter 15, verse 26 to 27, Jesus says again, When the counsellor comes, I will, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And he, says, he goes on to say, And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. When he comes, he's going to help you tell the world about me and what I've done. And then the same chapter, verse 7 to 11 Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Can you imagine hearing that as one of Jesus' 12 disciples? It's for your good, it's good that I'm going. What? How could you go? How can it be good? But he says, but unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is going to be the beginning of something. That prophecy uh, of Joel that's quoted in Acts chapter 2 talks about the day of the Lord. This is going to be the beginning of the end. This is the end days of the world the Spirit of God comes down and there we wait for the end of the world where Christ will come back and judge the living and the dead. But in that period, His Spirit is going to wake up His church. We are going to be a people of power. It's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? Um, Sometimes we look at God's church and we think, really? Are we really a people of power? I look at myself and I think the same thing. We all do that, I'm sure. But in this period of history called the last days, God's Spirit is going to wake His church up and He's going to be convicting people of their sin and people will come to know Christ as we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 before he ascended back to heaven Jesus said to his disciples you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth for a group of guys that probably hadn't even left the country to be told soon you're going to go global They were probably thinking, "Wow, I can't wait!" But wait is what they had to do. Ten days they hung around before Pentecost happened. Pentecost is that moment when, having returned to heaven, God the Son pours out God the Holy Spirit onto His church. As verse 33 of chapter two says, and who would have anticipated what Pentecost? really would have looked like. Who would have thought that the arrival of God's Holy Spirit would have been so dramatic, so amazing? We saw that video early on, and that really just sort of gets, gets the old blood going, because that's how amazing it was. But at the end of it, someone says, what does it mean? What on earth does this possibly mean? What is happening here? So let's just look at that for a few minutes this morning. What does it mean, Pentecost? It means the birth of the church. The church wasn't dreamt up with a group of religious people around a long table discussing how we can bore the world to tears. No, the church was birthed with the Holy Spirit coming from heaven to earth, taking a bunch of uneducated people who didn't know what they were doing, filling them with the very presence and the power of God and bringing it to life so that this church was going to be completely unique. Pentecost is our DNA. Pentecost is our church's DNA. Because just like in creation, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, where God breathes life into the man he forms out of dirt, Christ is breathing life into his church. Those symbols of wind along with fire remind us of that life-giving presence of God entering his people, entering his church. Reminds us of those things from the Old Testament. And the church comes alive at Pentecost as God's Holy Spirit enters it. And much like the temple in the Old Testament where we have that image of the cloud of God's presence resting above the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat in the Holy of Holies, God's presence now dwells within his people, not in a room, but within his people, within his church. We looked at the Trinity last week. That was a big undertaking, wasn't it, for a Sunday morning? But we looked at that tr- that concept, that doctrine of the Trinity, and we see it here again. We see here again why it matters: God the Father seated on the throne, Christ the Son redeems humanity, goes to His Father, and together they pour out God the Holy Spirit. It's all God. It's all God from beginning to end. Pentecost matters because this is the Church. We can look past 2,000 years of church history, not because it doesn't matter, but when we want to answer that question, what is the church? We go back to Acts chapter 2, and we say the church is more than an organization, more than a constitution, more than a rich history. The church is a group of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who worship their God in spirit and in truth, and who believe in Jesus as their saviour. Pentecost fulfills a number of Old Testament, um, these events fulfill a number of Old Testament prophecies. Um, Back in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verse 31 to 34, uh, Jeremiah was given this prophecy about the end days. He says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand, And led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, saying, know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness. And I'll remember their sins no more. Jesus says there's a day that's going to come that's going to change everything. There'll be no more going up and only one person understanding. You're all going to know. God's going to teach you direct into your heart. And Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 18 to 20, we read these verses. It says they will return. Hang on, sorry. Yes, they'll return to it and remove its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. They will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. And then again, over in Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 28, we read... Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> oh, no, that's right. 28, not 38. Sorry, there we are. You know me looking at 34 rather than 24. There we are. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your in- impurities and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I'll remove from, your heart, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep um, my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Old Testament prophecies that speak of the spirit of God changing people on the inside. And at Pentecost, that became a global reality. Just like when Jesus in Luke chapter 4 was anointed by the same Spirit for his mission to go and preach the good news of God, the church is being anointed as the body of Christ to go out and change the world. Often the church isn't quite sure what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be doing. Our goal is clear. It is to build the kingdom of God, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to serve him and to preach the gospel. Often church seems irrelevant and that is never a reflection on God. Sometimes church seems boring. Sometimes it seems dull. Sometimes people come in and they wonder what on earth we think we believe. We talk about changing the world and people think, you lot, surely. I don't mean us necessarily, or hope not. But when the church is dull and irrelevant, that is never God's fault. It's always our fault. It is always our lack of faith, our lack of passion, or our apathy. God has got it all ready to go. But if the church doesn't want to go, then God can't force the issue. Pentecost is then the birth of this church. 2,000 years later, we might say it's all grown up. If we were alive at the beginning of Pentecost, we might have seen the church as a little baby almost. And we'd say now, 2,000 years later, aren't you all grown up? And we might ask the question, what have you become? What are you? What sort of church have you become the one that was spirit-filled and world-changing or have you become an institution another institution what are you i remember a new wine a few years ago a christian camp um i saw a family there and i recognized their names they were a family that we knew whilst we were in bangladesh and um there was a little kid called alex um he's not up there when i saw him but in bangladesh he was only only about sort of i don't know five i guess that sort of age he was really cute bless him and he was in my little football club after school and He used to come on to all the assemblies that I did and we had a a Christian weekend away and I I, I gave an altar call and bless him, he put his hand up we prayed together and he became a Christian at five years old and it was wonderful, I tell you. And I often used to think, whatever happened to Alex? He's such a cute kid. And at New Wine, I saw his parents and I said, wow, what's Alex up to? And they said, he's here. Goodness me, I couldn't wait to meet him. I wanted to know what sort of man have you become? Who are you? And praise the Lord, he's still a Christian, he serves God, I think he's with his mum and dad doing different things in different parts of the world, and it's so nice to see how he turned out. I wonder what Jesus would say to his church, how have you grown up, how have you turned out, did you turn out the way I thought you were? Oh. Or would he say, yeah, brilliant, we'd be pleased with the way we've grown up. I often hear many Christians say, you know, when I was first a Christian, I was really passionate about my faith. As I've got older, I've lost it. Why? It's no less true today as it was back then. Fight to go back to when you were a kid, when you had that zeal and that passion. Get back there. It's so much better, trust me. So Pentecost is the birth of the church. It's also a reminder of the mission. Excuse me. Sorry. There we are, that's better. Um, it's a reminder of the mission of God's church as well. Jesus pours out his spirit on his body, the church, during this global feast, it wasn't an accident that this happened during Pentecost. Pentecost was a global feast. Literally, the whole world comes to Jerusalem. They reckon there were um, at least 100,000 people, maybe even more, uh, turned up to Jerusalem for this feast. Hundreds and thousands and thousands of people from all over the world, and they go out and preach the gospel. It's like a reverse of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you'll go out into the world and be, my, um, make, be witnesses it's almost like God says, I'm going to bring them here now so you know that this is going to work. And then you can go out and carry on. Sometimes, I don't want to get political, sometimes we worry about things like immigration and people coming over to the UK. And, uh, and that's a different conversation, we're not going there. Um, but isn't it great that we can live in a world where we can actually meet so many people from so many different places. and We can preach the gospel um, to people and actually change lives and maybe even change nations. Um, as people visit different countries, we live in a, a different world, which is so smaller now. You can go anywhere. You can meet people from different cultures. You can preach the gospel to them, and they can take it uh, to different places. Our mission is global. They preach the gospel in the language of those people that came to Jerusalem. And what's amazing is that at that point, up until that point, if you wanted to worship God in Jerusalem at the temple, you could only do it in Hebrew. You had to learn Hebrew to praise God in the temple in Jerusalem. But no more. Pentecost has changed all that. You see, our gospel isn't only for one people group. It isn't only for one type of person or one culture or one class or one age bracket. It's for the entire world. Our message always remains the same. But the language that we deliver it in can change depending on where we're speaking. And maybe you're a bit younger this morning, and maybe you may have it in your mind that Christianity and all this church stuff is for peop- old people in their 40s and above. Uh, that's two years above me, so I'm alright. Um, so I can still consider myself part of the youth. Um, and you may think, actually, it's for that older, these old people. They're obsessed with being religious and nice. You're wrong. You're wrong. I promise you. It's as much your generation as it is mine. And it's as much my generation as it is someone in the 90s. It's as much my generation as Isaac Povey. Um, sorry, you had to look over you at the wrong time now, um, Or someone really small, really young. We all need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. We all need to be spirit-filled. We all need to go out and change the world. And what Pentecost meant was that this church wasn't going to be staying in Jerusalem. That by the Holy Spirit, it was going to go global. And that's exactly what happened over the next few hundred years. Even a famous Roman emperor became a Christian, and they changed an empire. Today, there is a church in almost every country and every town across the whole of our globe. And this growth of God's church could only happen if it was God's Holy Spirit. It is a privilege to be a part of something so amazing as the body of Christ. Other people were desperate to mimic the growth that we see in the church. Cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Scientologists have so much money that they throw their money into these networks of people groups and meetings with control and trying to control what people think just so they can experience some sort of growth and inroads. But real inroads, real growth only happens when the only living God inspires and fills his people to make a difference with the only truth, Jesus Christ, as he should be properly understood. And let me tell you, serving God is the best thing in a spirit-filled church. It is the most wonderful thing to see God work by the power of his Holy Spirit. And these seven and a half years that I've been here, and we've been here as a family, um, have been one of the highlights of my life. Because over the course of seven and a half years, I've been privileged to see God work in people's lives. Sometimes right from not knowing Jesus to watching them get baptized. And every time you hold your hands up and you say, whoa, that was God. That wasn't anybody else, that was God. Jesus met with them, the Spirit worked. And look at them now, it's a privilege. And the Spirit falling here in Acts chapter 2 is linked to mission. Um, Sometimes the church gets it wrong and thinks that a Holy Spirit is for a good time on a Sunday morning. Not really, that's not quite how it works. I believe the Spirit of God falls so that we would go and preach the Gospel. If you want to feel and know more of God, You will feel him better and know him more when you're out serving him more clearly. And number three, it reminds us of the nature of the church. We see in Acts chapter 2 so much of what the church should be and should work hard to be. This is the defining moment, and across this chapter we see what the nature of church is, that it's supposed to have a global mission. HTB, on their vision statement or mission statement, talk about changing London and changing their church, and they also talk about changing the nations of this earth. And when you first read it, you think, "Oh, that's a bit ridiculous. How can they do that? They might be a big church, but they're never going to affect anywhere else. Maybe they're wrong, and maybe they're right. Maybe they've caught hold of what God actually wants his church to be thinking, which is global. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I wonder what our mission in this church is. Is it home, you know, bus stop, work, maybe Bishop Stortford, for a few of you, and maybe Har- Harlow, you know, over there, or is it Swabridgeworth, East Hearts, the north of England, and the globe? Is that our mission, to change the world, or is that just rhetoric that we say, or I say, And we think that's never, never going to be us. Could this church send out missionaries again? Could we send out missionaries? Could we watch people and train them up to go into church missions somewhere, or church ministry, or some other role? Do we have a global view of what God wants of us? That's what Acts 2, 2 is telling us, that we should be global, not just local. Another thing about this church, it's got to have a clear gospel message. We're to preach the truth that Christ is the only way of salvation. There is no other. We repent and we believe and we follow and we get baptised. That is our message. There is no other. Also, we see here about powerful unity. In verses 42 to 47, I won't read them, but go home and read them and ask yourselves, and I'll ask myself, is this what I do at church? Is this how we are unified as church? Are we around this gospel and around each other? Are we a family? Are we one? Or do we just kind of come in, have an hour and a half together and go home again? And the final thing we see about this church is that it's supposed to be spirit-filled. It's supposed to be full of God's Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks about being filled with the Spirit. And of course, if you're a Christian this morning, he's already in your life. at at conversion. No one can be a Christian without the Spirit of God sanctifying them and cleaning them up on the inside. But the Bible speaks about being filled, continuing. To be filled. There are moments where we experience a different manifestation, a greater work of God's Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, answers to prayer, great answers to prayer, where He moves us in a way that is unmistakably God and not us. And I guess, I guess for me, when I look at Acts chapter 2. I have a mixture of excitement and disappointment because I look at that and I think that's what church ought to be. That's what Christianity ought to be. It ought to be radical. It ought to be the thing that people are going, the Christians have turned up. Wait to see what happens next. It ought to be the sort of thing that if there's a problem, they're ringing the church and saying, what are you going to do about it? Because you guys know what you're doing. And I guess I have a mixture of Excitement and disappointment. Excitement because I see what church is. It's DNA. Right at the beginning. That's what church is. God's power. Powerfully changing the world. But disappointment. Because all too often I know my brothers and sisters feel a million miles away from Acts chapter 2. And sometimes we don't know what the answer is. There are just two things I think that hit me this week there is no magic way of experiencing God doesn't matter how many times we play a song that doesn't make God move doesn't matter how, how lively I am at the front that doesn't make God move what makes God move is an open heart an obedient heart, a clean heart as best as you can at least a heart that's asking for forgiveness but there were just two things that really struck me this week the first is about service for me our Christianity sometimes is far too passive. It's far too easy. We sit here, sorry, it sounds like a point of comment because I stand up, but um, we come here and we listen and we go home. But actually, if you want to know God powerfully, you've got to be on the edge. You've got to be on the cutting edge, taking a risk, knowing that only He can go with you, only He can save you, not you. And I wonder if we've slipped into a reality where it's easy to be a Christian. In fact, let me just say, if it's a global faith, if you've got a a map of the world at home, I'm going to offer you a challenge. When you get home and you get a minute, get it out. Lay it on the table. Look at the whole world and just pray if you're brave enough. Lord God, I will go anywhere and I will do anything. Don't pray it if you don't mean it. (laughs) But pray it if you even half mean it. Because that's where you'll find God, when you're on the cutting edge. It doesn't have to be in the middle of Afghanistan as a missionary. It might be at work tomorrow. In fact, you might want to pray, Lord, I'm going to work tomorrow. I will say anything to anyone that you want me to. Because you won't find God better than when you're serving him on the cutting edge. And the second thing that really hit me was that these disciples had this amazing experience. And I know Pentecost is unique. I'm not suggesting you can recreate it. But you can experience God powerfully in in special ways, absolutely, I believe that, 100%. But what did they have to do before Pentecost arrived? <laughs> I had to wait. Now, they're obviously not as good a Christians as we are, because we'd have given God at least five minutes, um, maybe ten, you know. But then if there had been a boop on the phone, we'd have said, "Well, oh, sorry, Lord, hang on. Can you send the Holy Spirit at about half past two? I've just got a text to my, my friends and, and all that sort of thing. 10 days they waited, 10 days. Not knowing what would happen, not knowing what it meant, not knowing what Jesus was really saying, 10 days. And the world has never been the same since. When was the last time any of us gave God longer than five minutes? We say, when? Oh, God never speaks to me. God never does this. Maybe he's waiting for you to wait so he can. Is there a moment in your day that's only God's? Is there a moment in your week? Have you ever set aside a whole day where you just take a day off work? It's okay to take a day off work to serve God. Um, Take a day off and just go to the forest to read your Bible and pray and sing and just you and God, no phone, no social media, no rubbish like that, and let God speak to you. And those two things really hit me this week. It's not about searching for an experience. It's about getting back into the reality of what church is. And that is found in service. And it's found by actually waiting on our God. So we're going to finish now. Um, we just have one song, um, but let's just take a few minutes before we sing that song. That's all right. You want yeah. um, to hear? And let's just let's just be still. Maybe two minutes, three minutes. There's nothing. It's not even an advert break. Um, but in these couple of minutes, just say, Lord, be near me. Ask him to be near you. Ask the Holy Spirit to be close to you, to be in you, to fill you again and again and again. Pray about your week to come. If you're at work this week, ask for an opportunity to share your faith. If you're not sure what you're doing this week, ask for an opportunity to know where you should be living your life. And if you want to pray that other prayer, Lord, I'll do whatever you want, I'll go wherever you want. Pray it now. But let's just have a a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes, and then Mark will just start with our song. But just you and God, just wait on him now.